My inbox for over two years has been full of journalists who I can't name, concerned about what's happening in newsrooms. And it's not just The Guardian, it's The Age, it's even The Herald Sun, it's even Sky News, it's all media platforms, it's television, it's everywhere and they're all expressing concern about the censorship that's happening in new newsrooms on this particular issue. Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Jonathan Astro and with me is Ricky Allpike. Ricky, how are you? I'm really good, thanks. Uh, it's springtime. Melbourne is finally warm again. Uh, you know, spring's, spring's a great time. You know, renewal, transformation. Well, I can't stand that Melbourne... Uh, I was there for ten years. I just can't. I can't take it. Yeah. So it's 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 pretty tough. Um. So get this though. You know this. uh, Someone uh, legendary followed us, right? Yeah. Someone amazing. And I was just like, I I, well, I'm not going to say. I don't kiss and tell. All right. So don't ask. People could find this out on. Yeah, but don't just don't ask me. Don't ask me. All right. I'm not, so what I'm is not, this, like a treasure hunt or something? I'm not a stoolie. I'm not a, I'm not going to sing <laughs> like a canary. So anyway, the point is someone, I don't think people can find out. But anyway, someone legendary uh, and like whose work I just think is amazing, right? And it said they follow you. And I was I was almost did that post where you go, oh, when did this happen? Like that's, that's the Twitter post where you take a screen capture of them following you and you say, when did this happen? And it was amazing. And then... I want him to come on the show. You know, I've been biding my time. I've been like, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. Go to do it today. Go to their profile. They're not following us. What happened between then and now? Gavin. Oh, you think it was Gavin? Maybe. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. It's funny. I, I, we haven't got um, as much pushback on Gavin than I thought we would. A lot of people enjoyed the episode. They did enjoy the episode. And I think, you know, frighteningly, like for these people, for most people, I think they agree with a lot of his ideas. <laughs> I think they just don't <laughs> want to say it. They, in somewhere inside, they're going, mm, "Yeah, all right." So anyway, that t- it's hit me hard. Um, we'll, so I'm, I'm going through a circuitous route to try and get this person. This is pertaining to today's episode, by the way. We will get to today's episode. We're, we're interviewing Angie Jones today. Uh, the you know, and Gavin will come up. Uh, you know, she's also cancelled. Uh, well, we're going to ask her if she's cancelled, so she can she can let us know about that. But yeah, so so anyway, I'm going a circuitous route to try and get this person, and um, but we'll see. I don't know. Like it just, I think we just got to get used to, you know, not everyone digging it, and and people you really respect like not digging it. You know, mm, yeah. Maybe it's you. Maybe they're not like you. Maybe. Maybe could be. Maybe imagine if that. Imagine they said like, I'll come on the show, but you got to get rid of Ricky. <laughs> well, I guess that'd be less work for me, you know. I could sit back and just listen. It would. You would have to listen. I actually wouldn't mind that. Yeah, I think <laughs> Why should I have to do all the work? Forget yeah. Anyway, all right. I think we should we should get into this uh, uh, this episode. Okay. Well, we need your help here at the New Flesh. We need you to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to the show. We're also on YouTube, so please subscribe to our YouTube channel and leave a comment about a show you liked or perhaps one that you didn't. Word of mouth is also a very powerful tool, so please tell all of your friends. And finally, to our Uber fans, if you love what we do, you can send us a little cash via the Buy Me A Coffee platform. Any donation here is very much appreciated. And now let's get down to business. 
Return guest Angie Jones is a Melbourne-based gender-critical woman who runs the YouTube channel Turf Talk Down Under. Angie is a fierce advocate for women and is outspoken about self-ID, biological men and women's spaces, and the right for females and girls to have sex-separated sports categories. She recently gave a speech in the federal parliament on the subject, Why Can't Women Talk About Sex? Angie, welcome back to The New Flesh. Thank you for having me. So, Angie, uh, anything happened since we last spoke? Well, yes. Um, I, As most people would be aware, I've been defamed by the opposition leader in Victoria um, and our wonderful uh, event that we held uh, for Kelly J. Keane, the Let Women Speak event, was hijacked by neo-Nazis and the Victorian Premier decided to label everyone who attended um, a Nazi, basically, and say we were hateful and bigoted. And I've been dealing with the consequences of that for the last six months. thought you were just going to say we had some renos done, but instead <laughs> that's a lot. Uh, <laughs> we are going to dip into all of those things uh, step, step by step. But I must say I got a funny uh, message from you uh, recently. So we interviewed the infamous uh, Gavin McInnes uh, and you sent me a message on Twitter uh, and you said, this is a quote from you, 2 a.m. last night. I have more in common with uh, McInnes than Gillard. Thanks for that. Uh, was this an epiphany you had? It was. It was a terrifying thought, actually. <laughs> well, J Julia Gillard was, was recently asked the question of the 21st century, which is, what is a woman? Uh, what, what did you make of her rambling four-minute response? I made made it. I honestly believe that she's afraid. I think women who are too afraid to answer that question are afraid. They're afraid of public condemnation. They're afraid of being silenced and no platforms. And they're afraid of being attacked and having their loved ones attacked by militant activists. But she's set up for life, though. That's so weird, though, don't you think? That she's 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 got a. A stipend, that's what prime ministers get. And and really, she, you know, I mean, so if someone like her is frightened with all of that uh, firepower behind her, I mean, goodness sakes. That's right. And, and you know, it's it's women that are that have no profile and no platform to lose that, that have begun to speak up about this stuff, about the way that the very definition of woman is under attack. Well, it's interesting because you talked about you know, it, it being a gotcha moment that that gets wheeled out a lot in 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 uh, in the UK in in their sort of political discourse, and I, I was thinking about that. I think it I think it's only really a gotcha moment if you can't answer the question. Like if you just straight up say, you know, adult human female, then that's it. The gotcha moment doesn't happen. You know, and I think uh, there's been a number of male figures like Anthony Albanese. You know, he said adult human female and. He got away with it scot-free, you know. Do you think this is a different standard for, for women and men? I definitely do. I think that women are criticised far more heavily than men um, and that is a deliberate thing Like because not, they wouldn't get away with any of this if women weren't complicit. And I also think women are more likely to uh, agree with this agenda that erases us because we've been socially conditioned to. Well, do you think this question, or I guess some people's inability to answer it, will come to define the 2020s? You know, do you think we'll look back in amazement at these times? I think so. I think, it. you know, most people aren't really aware how deep this goes. They think it's just some silly 
um, social justice kind of tit for tat that's happening and they don't realise that people are use, losing their careers over this, that speaking out on this issue against female erasure is destroying people's livelihoods, it's having them labelled, demonised, um, having violence incited against them. You know, they just think it's just some funny little political discourse and they don't realise the consequences. And I think when people do, when they realise that it wasn't just a bunch of, you know, crazy feminists having a whinge because the definition of what it is to be a woman has been broadened, when they realise that all of these um, erasures are taking place and that, you know, women have no single-sex spaces anymore, I think they will wake up and say, hey, hang on a minute, but what's that going to take? Like how long until wider society wakes up to see what's actually happening here and not just laughing at the little gotchas? Well, this will come up a couple of times. You know, we don't have to uh, make any uh, prognostications just yet, but I, uh, today I think we'll, we'll probably be talking a little bit about where we're at and where we think we're going and where we've come from. But I did read something interesting the other day. Uh, it was an it was an article about um, the a, an internal sort of struggle they're having at the Guardian in in how to report on trans issues, which. I don't know if you this came across your desk at all, but but I was just staggered by um, the you know it seemed as if uh, th there's you know, obviously there's there's a group of of gender critical uh, people that at, at, at the Guardian, and then there's everyone else who you would imagine saying that trans women are women and whatever, and there's an argument about about how to cover these issues, and I just found it so fascinating. I mean, firstly, did, did you have you heard about this, or is this the first time you're hearing about? This? I've, my inbox for over two years has been full of journalists who I can't name concerned about what's happening in newsrooms. And it's not just The Guardian, it's The Age, it's even The Herald Sun, it's even Sky News, it's all media platforms, it's television, it's everywhere. And they're all expressing concern about the censorship that's happening in new newsrooms on this particular issue. I just thought it was fascinating uh, because isn't the point of journalism, particularly if, if, if it's, you know, there's a lot of opinion out there now, especially on The Guardian, there's a lot of opinion pieces and whatnot. Why, why, can't, why can't the editorial line simply be bring your best, you know, all both sides, like so the, the person needs to get up and say, both of you bring your best. And, and write your best articles, and then we will let the public, you know, decide on what they what they feel. But instead, it's it felt like there was um, like the gender critical group who were who uh, they said that there was um, incredible pressure and 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 activism against them even meeting, even getting together and, and having events and talking about this stuff. They're, so it seems like one side feels that they have complete moral authority to to shut down discussion debate. Uh, uh, conversation uh, at all. Yeah, that's true. But I think it's it's top-down decisions, like it's editors that are telling journalists what they can and cannot do. And a lot of people come to the gender debate in the middle where they're, you know, they're, they don't care either way and it radicalises them because they realise they can't tell the truth. Mm. Do you think this has much to do with, uh, with like trans rights organisations like ACON? I mean, have they infiltrated all of these places? Is that a factor? I think that's, that has everything to do with it. I think that there's a lot of money behind the scenes flowing both ways. Um, I think there's, there's lobbyists have been getting positions 
within governments where they're able to um, dictate what the media is, is allowed to report on. I think, I think ultimately there is a financial influences that are impacting all of this stuff, but also um, there's, there's a real push by the government to, you know, impose unreasonable things on society and test our compliance, and I think that's part of it as well. Well, I think we should get into the 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 meat and bones of this thing. Uh, you know, well, firstly, you know, we'll get into the the Let Women Speak rally in Melbourne. Then we'll get into perhaps what happened after, because we we literally spoke to you uh, in the. It felt like in the week before this this thing happened, and uh, it just seems like the world sort of exploded uh, straight uh, straight after that thing, at least in this space. So the first thing, just a tiny little thing. Um, in the articles that talk, that talk about, well, the, the few articles that, that mention you, you in this event, you're listed as a co-organiser for the Let Women uh, Speak rally in Melbourne. So what did that mean practically? Did you deal with the cops? Did you do permits? What, 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 was, your, what was your actual role? Well, I did deal with the cops. Um, I was the police liaison. Um, we, did, we were the only one of the five or six groups that were represented that day that, um, that lodged a notification that said we were going to protest on the day, which is almost like a permit, you know, it was a notice of intent to hold an event. Um, we told the cops, you know, how many people we would have attending, um, what counter-protesters we expected and all of those things. So we had a, a reasonably good relationship with the cops. Um, I call myself the co-organiser because behind the scenes there were other women involved in organising, but they were anonymous because most of them worked in, work in the public service and to even associate themselves with such an event would mean that they would lose their livelihood. So, you know, because I'm the only one that was public, I kind of copped the heat for everything that happened. Well, maybe as a, as a bit of a recap, maybe you can run us through the day as 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 you experienced it, a bit of a, a blow by blow. Literally, literally blow by blow. Um, we turned up uh, at the steps of Victorian Parliament House to hold a Let Women Speak event in which Kelly J grabs the microphone, gives a little chat and then offers an open mic to women who attend. And um, we had a bunch of women come in to speak about how gender identity ideology has impacted on them on, in their real lives. And that was all very well, but we got there an hour before our event was to start and trans rights activists were already there and they were already outnumbering us. Now they got right in our faces from the get-go, our marshals hadn't even set up and they we came to blows with them and the police moved these militant activists over the other side of the busy street um, and they were on one side and we were on the steps of Parliament House. But there were other groups that were turning up as well, including um, the Freedom Fighters who were mostly anti-lockdown. Um, there were the trans rights activists. There were two anti-fascist other groups, two socialist groups, and the infamous neo-Nazis that all also turned up. So it ended off being a very chaotic day, but the police, um, we, we knew we were going to be outnumbered because Melbourne is a very, um, you know, protesty kind of city. We're an angry, grumpy city. Um, we knew that student unions and people like that had been putting up propaganda around the city saying that they were going to fight Nazis and fight the right-wingers. 
and that they were actually talking about our peaceful protests, which was mainly mainly left-wing feminist women, but they had already, you know, uh, misled the public into thinking that there were actually going to be Nazis there, and but it was actually us women. So all these, um, you know, so social justice activist student types all said, let's go and fight the fash. And even though they were faced with um, rainbow flags, uh, lots of mums and grandmas and a few men, um, they still acted as if they were actually facing off against real neo-Nazis. I'm so glad you said the fash because we've been talking about, I mentioned uh, to Ricky I, that you you had said this word, the fash, previously, and I was like, I was like, that is the coolest way to say like fascist. <laughs> I'm only ever going to say the fash the from fash. now on. So, see, this is it. I come. I have a like a, a history of anti-fascism. You know, I would have been the person on the other side, protesting against actual Nazis, and it. It, the, the weirdest irony is that some of the people who are accusing me of being a Nazi actually appeared as witnesses in a court case that I've had ongoing for the last six years against a troll who has white supremacist beliefs who actually asked the very Nazis that invaded our protest to come and bash my disabled brother to find out where I live. So that's the only link I have to of to, with Nazis is that I have had to get an intervention order to prevent Nazis from coming to bash my brother and I. It's I mean that sounds awful uh, Angie all of that that per we'll get into some of that personal stuff perhaps uh, but 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 uh, shortly but just just thinking about some of these terms like I mean, because th this is what we're talking about. This whole Nazi thing got got uh, totally blown out of proportion in a way. Like, I mean, you know, for starters, the Nazis haven't been around for quite a while, like actual Nazis. I think we, like when we say, oh, the Nazis turned up, you go, well, well, no, the Nazi party hasn't been around for, for a while. So it's it's something else, right? Like, and we're sort of conflating all these terms and it's being used by various groups to, as you say, to, to smear you and, and, and some of the other people that were there. And I think it's deliberately confusing. I think that these these men in black who who you know supposed neo Nazis, um, I think they're an extremist group. Yes, I think they are dangerous because just like any other cult is dangerous. But but to conflate them with actual Nazis who are, who have you know strong political influence, I think is very very irresponsible because it diminishes how awful actual Nazis are. And these guys were in board shorts and bucket hats. That's right. You know? That's right. We didn't know who they were. If they hadn't have done the salute, we wouldn't have had any idea who they were. But but also, you know, I struggle to to see how how there's more than about 25 of these guys in Victoria, you know? I mean, it's it's yeah. such a small number of of people. It it's almost not not worth worrying about to be honest. And I think they're a bogeyman. Yes, for sure. Yeah, they they are sort of the. Uh, I, I guess they're they're convenient for some people politically to to be able to yeah to have a boogeyman to point to. I guess. But one thing I uh, that really struck me from being at 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 the rally in in Melbourne was that the the TRAs on the other side were were far more unhinged and terrifying than any of the other groups there. You know, 
I mean, and and it's it's also evidenced by the fact that that the cops had to push back pretty hard on them using uh, using the mounted police force, and I, I don't know if the riot squad was there, but there were definitely some pretty heavy looking police police guys there, like pushing back on them. Like, I mean, if you were just dropped in that situation and didn't know what what was going on, you'd you'd think they were the bad guys. Yeah, you know? all the arrests were on their side, and none of the media picked up on that. They said there were three arrests at this violent protest, and the three arrests were trans rights activists. That's crazy. Mm. That's absolutely crazy. And they were violent and unhinged. I mean, I like I had to go and have um, EMDR therapy, like desensitization therapy, because I kept having flashbacks to this rabid mob of mainly angry men punching police horses to get through a crowd. Now I've been in those, mm. you know, I've been to plenty of protests. I've seen a lot of things in my life, but I've never been affected by that in the way that I in that way. So and and as in terms of the the the, the, the talks themselves, so there was because um, people never talk about this. They never talk about like we, we get caught in the uh, in the sensational stuff, but really, the whole point of the event is that so women can get up and say whatever they what they say their piece, um, and you know can you can you remember any? I mean, you were I think in. Uh, uh, holding back uh some some people and involved in some of the some of the marshalling and that but do you remember any of the the actual uh talks that went on that day no i don't i had to watch it back on the live stream and and but i think the biggest injustice of this whole thing is that we had some very powerful speakers speaking honestly and from the heart and all of the people that criticised our event, none of them actually watched the live stream and listened to the words of those women. It was an event called Let Women Speak and nobody listened. It, it broke my heart out of everything that happened, you know, the, all the punches that I took for the team. That's the thing that irritates me the most because nobody who listened to that live stream could think that we had anything to do with Nazis. Mm, absolutely, I never saw any of that footage uh, sliced up and put into any any news package at all. It was it sort of just became uh, forbidden forbidden footage. Yeah, and did you see how many photos were in the paper of the actual Nazis of the other protesters? And there was zero footage of our event. And even now, when I see it, like I, I have a smile because I look at it and it looks like um, a, possibly a pride event or some other sort of you know people meeting in the sun. To, to listen to some speakers. Like it looks like a positive event. And I think that's the reason why they didn't publish it. And so wh- wh- how, did the, how did the event actually end up? Like it, how did it finish up? Because, I mean, you know. Well, we were um, informed that the police were struggling to hold the line because actually, after the actual neo-Nazis were let out of the event, the... Uh, socialist groups had grown in numbers and the trans rights extremists and rather than chase off after the neo-nazis their anger was directed towards us women and we were told by the police that it would be a good idea if we hurried up and finished the event for our own safety so it finished probably 15 minutes early because of the imminent threat perhaps we could talk about about maybe the days and weeks after the let women rally i mean what what sort of effects did 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 the rally and 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 I guess the aftermath have have on your life? The thing was Im- immediately after the event, all I was concerned with was whether Kelly J was pleased with it, and she was because the speakers themselves were amazing and and we were under resourced, 
And with all of the antagonism and all the sort of negative press we were receiving, we actually managed to carry off a really good event. If you just blot out everything else, if you were just there to listen to the speakers. So in the immediate aftermath, it was like, well, who were those black clad men? You know, because apparently they were neo-Nazis, but they didn't look like neo-Nazis. So who were they? So that was the first thought. The second thing was that the media started reporting that they, those men were Nazis and that they were with our rally. And we're like, that's preposterous. It, it didn't happen. So how could they be reporting this? And there was this real moment. I remember when I saw Daniel Andrews on the television saying that event was hateful and bigoted before the Nazis even turned up and condemning our event as, you know, right wing and all those things. And I remember having this moment where I just thought, he's talking about me. Now he's, he's lying about us. And so from then on, it was almost like we were being gaslit, that everything that was coming out in the media wasn't what actually happened. And we were trying to navigate that with what we knew not realising that the entire, the attention of the entire country was on our tweets, was on any comments that we made publicly. You know, we had no idea that everyone was sort of um, looking for a gotcha from us. And unfortunately for me, I provided them with one by making one a little bit irresponsible tweet because I had been uh, attacked for 12 hours on social media as being a Nazi and a white supremacist, which is ridiculous, by people who know I'm not one. And I responded sarcastically um, with a tweet that, you know, kind of mocked the, the banner that the Nazis hung down, which said, destroy pedophiles. So it was an irresponsible tweet on my part. But in the greater context of what I said, it wasn't that horrific. But the media, of course, grabbed that and the leader of the opposition grabbed that tweet and made it into something that it was not, which is that it was an admission that my personal views aligned with neo-Nazis. So then I started seeing that represented in the media and, of course, I was mortified. Um, you know, I'm a mum, I've got small kids, uh, I, uh, you know, I have a professional reputation to protect and I could not believe what I was hearing. Well, perhaps you can, uh, maybe you can respond to John Pseudo's uh, comment here. We've got, this is, this is from uh, an article uh, that we read. Uh, this is from the Victorian Liberal Party leader. He says, quote, that rally was organised by people who have known and established links with people who have Nazi sympathies promote white supremacist views and ethno-fascist views. One of the people with whom Miss Deeming was celebrating, uh, in brackets, after the rally, was Angie Jones. Close quote. There you are. Yeah. So for the 20th of March, 2023. So uh, what's, what's, what's up with this? If he had have clicked on my Twitter profile, from he would have seen that none of that was true. If he had have done any it's, other... It's very lazy. Yeah. Well, he could have Googled my name and the own um, ABC... Uh, back catalogue would have that I am apparently left-wing and vulnerable. So, you know, if he dug a little bit of deeper, he could have seen the autism advocacy that I've done, which is recorded in the media. So this was laziness on Mr Pesudo's part, but it was also laziness and deliberate um, misleading behaviour from journalists because they really had no evidence, but they were happy to go along with that narrative. 
Now, I, I believe you bumped into uh, John Pesciuto on the street the other day. Yes, I did. How, how did that go? That was a bit awkward for Mr Pesciuto. He, um, I did confront him and asked him why he hadn't apologised and he gave a nervous laugh. Um, yeah, so it was it was awkward. But it also, it just proved to me that these um, politicians and journalists just see me as um, someone who's inconsequential, like I'm just collateral damage in their quest to uh, discredit more redeeming and that they think that they can treat me like dirt and get away with it. And it, looking him in the face and him not being able to make eye contact really made me realise how dehumanised I am in their eyes. Yeah, it really did seem like, I mean, just... This just it, this seems really like an an internal uh, um, sort of political matter, but it just it seemed like you were used in a way because you know we've got this more redeeming who who uh, was part of the Liberal Party was part of was was at the rally and was involved in the rally, and then you know she's uh, eventually was was um, sort of suspended uh, out of the party, but it just seemed like uh, Pursuito's millennial and gen z staffers just handed him some some wikipedia stuff and whatever and we're like yeah just read all this out and and it's so embarrassing because the liberal party because we already meant you already mentioned that melbourne is you know i think you left out the word awoke <laughs> it's seriously woke i mean i don't care what definition of that that word you have melbourne is that yeah. and um uh and there's just no other way around it and so the liberal party has zero chance in hell of getting in for a very long time uh and so they're in such a hole this guy's gotten the job and then he's just you know happened onto this 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 scandal and he's just they're just making it up as they go along so it, it just became apparent so early that you that you know that someone like you was totally being used as a foil here i appreciate that because i've kind of felt a bit um invisible in this fight because both you know curly j has notoriety she has a lot of support moira as a politician um has a lot of support and a lot of protection but I've kind of felt a little bit like, yeah, collateral damage and um, invisible in this. And the impact that this has had on me personally has been invisible. Although, you know, there's a lot of people out there that say, well, you got what you deserved for aligning with Kelly J. Keane, who, even though she may not be a Nazi, is a controversial character. So, you know, and that's from my own side. That's from left-wing women who have gender-critical views who've said that. So, you know... I've copped it from everybody, basically. Um, yeah, and and I like it's nice to actually have my role in all of this acknowledged because I copped the same level of defamation, but the impact on me has been far more personal. And are you are you exploring any legal avenues? I mean, are you are you looking to 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 sue for defamation or anything like that? I certainly am. And after I confronted Mr. Pesuto in the street, like he's had you know six, over six months to apologise for the. For what he said about me um, and also to condemn the violence because for me what he said wasn't as awful I mean he, what he said is easily disproven but what he did was when he called me a neo-nazi or aligned to neo-nazis he in, incited thousands of people to abuse me to tell me to kill myself to say that my children uh, were unsafe with me that, you know, that I can't walk the streets in my own city without getting a can of soup thrown at my head. 
Um, and it was all the months and months of that that did more harm than his words because words are easily disproven. And in terms of, you know, you already sort of mentioned some of the, the gender critical uh, uh, lefties who who jumped off you a bit. Has there, had, were there any, was there any fallout in terms, I mean, did you lose any friends? Did you, did you lose any opportunities as well? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I think, um, you know, that, that kind of broke my heart, like a group, a Facebook group that I've been involved in with since 2014, pretty much as, you know, I'm still in there, but um made it very difficult for me to participate as part of the group. Um, other women have actually left because of the injustice of it, the way that I've been treated by women on my own side. So, um, And I get a lot of criticism because I have been working with people like Maura Deeming and Kath Deves who um, are in the Liberal Party. And as a left-wing woman, it's like, oh, well, you're not left anymore. But um, if I waited for left-wing media to try and clear my name... I would die of old age and so i will um speak out on this issue and the injustice that i've experienced to almost anyone who is willing to listen and i think i've been quite successful in the last six months of using my dodgy twitter account with my poor grammar and bad spelling to turn around the narrative and prove that i am not aligned with neo-nazis in any conceivable way as a side topic, I've actually I've got something I'm dying to ask you about. What did you think of Premier Daniel Andrews hosting a drag queen story hour in Parliament House? Did did you hear about this? Yeah, I think it was despicable. I think he, it was irresponsible. I think he was sending a very clear message to anyone who dared to speak out against some of the indoctrinations that's happening in schools and kindergartens. I think he sent a very clear message that they would suffer the same fate as we did after Let Women Speak. And, you know, raising the trans flag, it's funny because when he, when he raised the flag a few days after our event, he raised the flag above Parliament House, I had old school Labor mates who I hadn't spoken to for 10 or 20 years, like union blokes, ring me up and go, what the hell? What's what's the deal with the flag? It was like, you know, that was the the moment that they realised that Dan had been bought. Well, I, I think it's fascinating that that no media outlets really covered this story. I think what I think what Dan Andrews was doing was this was a response to a drag queen story hour that was happening, I think, at a library in in Monash somewhere, um, at which. I think a lot of people came to protest or at at a um, at a council meeting about that that, and in response to to that whole situation, Dan Andrews basically, I guess, tried to rub it in everyone's faces and said, "Well, let's have a drag drag queen story hour here in Parliament," and even you know even dragged some kids along for it. I I think one of the things that 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 annoys me. I mean, I would be annoyed if. If a if a metal band came to play in Parliament House, you know, I'd be annoyed if if a hip hop group, you know, I just think that Parliament House deserves a certain level of respect, uh, re regardless of of what your politics are, and to have what is essentially, uh, you know, adult entertainment, which is now for some bizarre reason being co opted into ch children's entertainment. I don't quite understand that, but I just find that whole thing disrespectful. I agree, and it's a slap in the face for women who find um, drag offensive as a form of woman face. 
Yes, I heard Kit, we did an interview with uh, Kit Kowalski. Uh, she's, she's spoken at length uh, about a lot of this, but she did a video on her account. Uh, she she did this wonderful breakdown of a, a similar a drag queen story hour type thing on the ABC, uh, our, our national broadcaster. And yeah, all of her points were just so spot on, like stuff that I hadn't even thought about. Like maybe we, I think maybe, maybe people need to bring it to the surface a bit and say, well, you know, what is drag? Where did it start? And, and, and you go, look, we're... We're all pretty much left-leaning people in this room right now. We all agree. If we if, if we go to a drag night or something, it'd probably be a bit of fun. It'd be great. It'd be you know whatever. It'd probably be um at an at an an adult venue like a pub or a nightclub or something, and there would be no children there. And the presenter would be in some kind of um dinner dress with a split up the leg, and you know that's that's on on the lower end. On the higher end, it'd probably have. You know, there'd be fake boobs and a and a fake vagina or something like that hanging out, and then their name would be some big, like ridiculous innuendo, sexual innuendo, yeah. Uh, and and so and as you then there's all the all the stuff you, you say that you go well about it's woman face, and you go well how come it's never you know and even my description now is going to be a little bit offensive, but it, how come it's never the the demure librarian yeah. uh, 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 drag queen? It's never the the, the woman who works at H and R Block. You know, just who you just go, oh well, whatever. Like it's always a bombshell. You know, like it's it's what is it? These are all the questions that I just don't think people are really really bringing up. Nobody's allowed to ask any questions. That's it. You can't have unless you're a hundred percent affirming of any of this stuff. That's it. You know, any any questioning of any of of this ideology is met with, well, you're uh, you know uh, either a right-wing bigot or you're like ultra conservative and you're a prude yeah well i feel like the tide is turning a little bit and and mainstream outlets are, are finding their courage a little bit you know i mean john you mentioned that thing at the guardian but also recently channel seven uh at their spotlight show ran an episode all about detransitioners and and gender clinics you know i feel like i feel like people are gaining a bit of courage to speak up are, are you feeling this Angie, I mean, are you? I mean, are you seeing the tide turning just a little bit? Well, I think all of the tactics that they've tried to shut us up have failed, and the only tactic they have left is to no platform us completely. So the other day, myself and um, eight other women spoke in at Parliament House to some MPs, um, and the media, the mainstream media, didn't report on it. Only the Australian, who is open to talking about gender critical things, so the ABC pretty much ignored it. Um, a couple of like little tiny major, a minor newspaper, regional newspapers picked it up, but reported it from the trans rights activist side. So I think there's a doubling down by the governments and the mainstream media to silence and no platform us. So I'm hopeful that more people are speaking up, but I'm not really seeing that amplified out there. So, um, you, you, I mean, you, you recently spoke at the, at, at the federal parliament. Why don't you tell us in a little bit more detail about uh, about the event and you know what you spoke about and what some of the other women spoke about? Well, it's really funny because we've copped a bit of criticism because someone snuck um, photos of inside and there was a lot of empty seats. But the night before, um, all of the women involved went out for dinner and we had quite a few people there and none of them could attend our event the next day because they all work in the public service. So it was like the the social side of it, the event happened before the event almost. So we, um, you know, we all took turns 
speaking to some MPs, in, including Jacinta Price, Claire Chandler, um, Alex Antic, and um, Senator Babbitt. And um, there was a little bit of media there. The Australian was there. I think someone from the age as well. Um, but we basically told our cancellation stories and that, you know, those of us that are in legal battles, we talked briefly about them and the injustice of it. Um, you know, it was a, a brief event, um, quite effective. You know, afterwards there were discussions about how we move forward to try and get this out into the general public because I'm, I'm firmly of the opinion that if the public knew what we knew, this ideology would be gone. And the challenge is to force the mainstream media to talk about this stuff. Mm, that's the big the big thing, isn't it? How, and, we, and we sort of put this to uh, Helen Joyce as well. How, how do you package some of this stuff up for normies? You know, if you go to some event or whatever and you just, or you manage to, one of your normie friends or family members, how do you... How do you package it up so that they don't go, oh, geez, so, you know, you've, you've, you're off the deep end? Well, my approach has changed over the years. I used to be so polite. I remember the first time I saw Magdalene Burns being mortified with her plain language and that she didn't use, pro, you know, preferred pronouns and, and you know, that she just like, right, you know, men are not women and, and you know, get men out of women's services. And I used to think, oh, ooh, you can't say that. But now I, I'm just as rude, if not more so. I think the only way you can wake people up is to smack them between the eyes with it and say they are male rapists being sent to female prisons children at the age of 15 are having their breasts removed and the first response is always no no it's not happening here no that's rubbish that's that's happening overseas it's not happening here um and then just providing them with the evidence well i've had a bit of trouble with um some of the boomers in my life like it's so interesting because they are you know they, they're not they they typically haven't been backwards about coming forwards about what they think and suddenly like like the 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 ones that i know are terrified and they're, they're on the outside of all of these issues basically everything we talk about in this podcast i've gotten them to listen to some episodes of this podcast and the responses have have been um bemused like they're just sort of a bit like i don't know they're frightened it's like the young people in their life um, whether it's their children and their grandchildren or some mixture of that or whatever, and the fact that some of them only watch the ABC, they've just been cowed into this into this uh, this very strange um, uh, situation where I can tell on the inside that they desperately want to say that some of this stuff is total bullshit, but they're frightened. Have you encountered this or not? I, I kind of feel like after COVID and, you know, and the Melbourne earthquake and all the weird things that happened for the, that couple of years there, I think as society, we're kind of like a bit desensitised, but we're also on heightened alert. And I think a lot of the time people are kind of, dissociating in a way by just nodding their heads with the social justice stuff it's it's like a survival mechanism to just go along go along with the flow and i think as a, a society we're doing that because to question it is too painful like you know if if we're paying attention to what they're bringing out about vaccines for example which is an argument that i swore i would never weigh into that there has been actual evidence that they may not have been as effective now for me as a mum who got all of the first three vaxes i think but also got her young children vaccinated 
That's a really awkward space now where those people who I dismissed as crazy cookers might have been right about something. And I think there's a culture of fear, particularly among the middle class, that they've gone along with something and then looked and gone, oh, maybe I wasn't right about it. But all these people over here saying that, you know, I just got to keep going and, and it'll all just go away. And I, I think that's what's happening. I think people are just too afraid to say, hey, I made a mistake because they're afraid of the consequences of that. And also because of cancel culture, because they know that their own side is going to turn on them. Well, last night, it doesn't even have to be about COVID. Last night, I, I, I mentioned something about, we're talking about David Bowie with a bunch of different people. And then one, a lady whom I, I you know, quite enjoy, we, we, we discussed, she said, I said, oh, I think that, you know, Life on Mars is a good song. I think Sorrow is probably one of my favourites. And then she, and she goes, oh, I like China Girl. And I said, yeah, it's good. And she goes, oh, it's a bit offensive though. And I went, and I, and I, and I went, is it? I was like, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Like, like part of she had to proffer that, put that forward. It's like, well, I mean, I don't know. Like he, he's being descriptive. Is so, it so, you, so you can't say you just like a song. You have to sort of protect yourself by well, you've got, acknowledging she was hedging, that, that she you was see it. In case yeah. I went to the ABC and said, did you know this lady said she thought that Chinese people were the worst because she's, you know, that's what she's obviously saying because she said she liked Chinese, China girl. I mean, the, the, this is the culture of fear. It's it's we we we've 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 entered into this very strange uh, place. I, I don't think people realise, as someone who has you know survived being called the worst of the worst, being cancelled might just be the best thing that ever happened to me as far as my voice being heard, because I came. I decided to speak up in this fight because I felt invisible. And I didn't want anyone else to feel the way that I do. And my worst nightmare happened where not only the people in my life who should have spoke up to protect me didn't, but that people, the most powerful men in the state, defamed me, incited violence against me, and yet I'm still here. And I've derived a little bit of comfort from that. And I think that people have to be less afraid of being cancelled. I mean, I wouldn't be here on this podcast if that awful thing hadn't happened to me. So even though the media, the politicians, whatever, are saying these awful things, I know that out there in society, one, I know they're not true, but I know out there there's people who feel the same way I do, who see the injustice. And because we're on the side of the truth, that when those people get together and agree and say this is an injustice, you don't deserve to be cancelled, that we're stronger because we've had that experience. Now, if, if my adversary, Mr Pursuto, was to be cancelled, that would mean the loss of his political career. But I have nothing left to lose. He's punched down so hard that there's nowhere else I can go. And so the only way for me is to uncancel myself. And I actually think that that's what's happening. And I think that's what's going to happen for all these other women who've been cancelled and other people like Glenna, for example, um, Graham Linehan, who just has, is um, taking pre-orders for his book that already is going to be a bestseller in a couple of days. You know, he's probably the most cancelled man in Britain. And that gave me a lot of hope. 
Well, uh, one other thing that you have that, that helps strengthen your voice is Turf Talk Down Under, which is your YouTube uh, channel and podcast. Uh, how's that show going? Is, is it growing? Is it uh, getting more more? Well, I'm a, a bit disappointed with myself because since all of this has happened, my heart hasn't been in it. And the whole reason that I started that channel was to give voiceless women a voice and also to provide comfort to other women that felt excluded socially because of their political opinions. But what's happened is the personal toll of this defamation and, and the impacts um, has impacted me to the point where um, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with revealing too much of myself because I know there are people out there who will weaponize the things that I say and use them against me and other people. So. While I'm happy to be here talking to you, on my own platform, it's awkward for me because I know that they're out there watching, pulling apart everything I say. And if I accidentally say something, they're going to weaponize it. And I also don't want to accidentally reveal my vulnerability to these people because they are literally you know, wishing the worst, worst outcomes for me. And I don't want to give them any reason to, you know, attack me. So, so yeah. Well, I'm so, like, so do you like China Girl or do you like China Girl? Not particularly. And don't get me. <laughs> well, there you go. That's, don't don't you get go. me started on David Bowie and the underage groupies. So. Oh, yeah, I only just found out about this. We talked about this in the recent podcast. Yes, yeah. I didn't know about this, so i got to look into it, you know. Well, it wouldn't be stuff. uncommon for for rock stars to, you know. Well, Not like in that era anyway. Complicit, Ricky mm. Park. Yeah. Well, um, so I just wanted to ask you about the, the rest of the, the Let Women Speak tour, uh, particularly New Zealand, because you know, as a reminder to... Our listeners, Kelly J. Keane uh, went to New Zealand. Uh, Tasmania was pretty loose as well here. And uh, she was mobbed by trans rights activists. Uh, Let Women Speak marshals and representatives were assaulted. Kelly J. herself was doused with a liquid on stage, which turned out to be a juice, but frankly could have been anything. I don't want someone running up to me and just dousing me. I'm like, um, is this acid? Uh, yeah. So the police watched on pretty much from a safe distance as the crowd stormed the stage area. Kelly J was smuggled out somehow uh, and she left the country almost immediately. So firstly, what did you make of, of these events and and then perhaps some of the fallout uh, of, of, of her New Zealand leg? Well, I think what happened to Kelly J in New Zealand was a direct consequence of what happened in Melbourne, that the New Zealand media went along with the narrative of John Pesuto and Daniel Andrews that we were um, right-wing Nazis and the media coming up to her event in New Zealand or portrayed her as such. And so um, a lot of people, as any reasonable person would do, turned up to protest against who they thought were white supremacists but were actually just women's rights campaigners. Um, and they turned up there and that's when all the awful things happened. Um, so I definitely think that what happened in Melbourne uh, impacted what happened in New Zealand. Yes, it sort of felt like that, that, that uh, you know, with with each event, things were ramping up because Tasmania was pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, in Hobart, 
uh, like that seemed even more rabid. And then it seemed like the deafening silence from the media and uh, about you know the whole thing really. But then the the sanctioning of of each successive uh, uh, sort of line step of, of people uh, it led up to this moment where we, they got to New Zealand and it was just it was a total rabid mob. And I mean, I couldn't believe it. It was totally off the chain. And um, like the the behaviour was is is so. Um, plainly disgusting do you know what i mean like 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 in terms of i don't understand like even if it was my movement i'd be so disappointed i'd be like oh like it's like you know you'd just be like why we let the you know the psychos in our in our team take over like why why are we why do we have to be okay with um you know the people pushing down the barriers punching old ladies and um you know dousing people and you know just just i mean it's complete opposite of of reasoned uh, rational debate or or gandhi like you know protest but you've got to ask yourself the same question about why the police chose to let the neo nazis behind the line at our event um when faced with the socialists getting behind the line so they chose to let the despicable neo nazis behind the line because they thought the women would be safer. And so, you know, they keep they keep hiding from the public what a violent, aggressive mob of people these trans rights extremists are. But they don't even mention the fringe like even if even if you're you you are completely sympathetic to to the the trans rights uh you know activist side you know, just a slight mention of the of some of the loose units you see there would be yeah. would would actually strengthen your argument. So if you were like, you know what, trans women are women, but oh, this person and that person, they are clearly uh, not doing the right thing, and we should call. Well, out. I I put the blame for that at the hands of activist editors, because we know that journal you know journalists try and be objective. But what happens is a journalist will come to the newsroom with an adequate, like a, a, you know, a response that portrays both sides, and the editors will say, "No, you can't say that," and they'll twist it to make the trans rights extremists look like the good guys. And I've had numerous reports from journalists that they've tried to actually tell the truth, and the younger, often male editors, have said to these older journalists. No, we can't say that. And so what happens is, you know, women particularly, but men and women in their 60s who've been journalists for decades are being told by young editors in their 30s what they're allowed to publish. And if they don't do what they're told, they'll lose their job. We'll be covering this with uh, Julie Sago, who actually got uh, uh, 86th from The Age for this very reason. I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out here. Where will we be in one year's time on on women's issues? Well, I'd like to think that we will have moved forward, that the public will be more aware of the impact that gender ideology is having on female-only spaces, services and sports. But I'm a little bit discouraged at the moment. Um, I, although more people are speaking up, the media is doubling down. I'm hoping that the legal actions that are taking place all over the country now are going to make a difference 
that women that we're coming together and we're creating a pool of resources where women who are having their employment questioned uh, having their employment um, terminated or suspended or women who are being taken to human rights tribunals that they can defend themselves as for as, as long as they need to. Um, we all know about the Tickle versus Giggle case where Sal personally has to raise a million dollars to see it to its fruition. But, you know, we, we've got to get behind these women who are willing to defend our rights and we're going to have to do it through the courts, I'm afraid, because the media won't tell the truth. Um, and hopefully, like, you know, my biggest fear is that something like Tickle versus Giggle will happen, which is huge because it affects, you know, the, the legal definition of a woman in the sense that, you know, we find out for sure whether gender identity trumps sex in the Sex Discrimination Act. So my biggest fear is that the media just won't report on it. So the general public won't know because that's what's happened to this point, that the public's being misled. And I really worry that this will continue. But I think because of what's happening in the UK and because Kelly J is kind of forcing people to shine a light on it and even the legal action of Moira Deeming, you know, there, there are these little cracks starting to appear in the foundations of gender ideology I'm hopeful that we will make enough noise that the thing starts to crumble. And, you know, there, there's such misinformation out there that we want to erase trans people or that we want to cause some sort of genocide. But no, nobody in this movement has a problem with gender non-conforming men. We just don't want them in the very, very few spaces that are female only. And we don't want to compete them against them in sport because of the obvious unfairness and we don't want them to take all the women's roles because women are already at a, a disadvantage in many ways so you know we don't have a problem with the whole concept of trans and up until recently even I would use uh, preferred pronouns but what's happened now is it's gone way, way, way too far. And all we want is to just pull it back a, a bit so that women still have their rights, children aren't being groomed, and that people aren't being misled. So, Angie, we want to give you the final word. I just, I just, this just occurred to me um, because now, Ricky, you can cut this out if you like. But uh, 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 Ricky's wife mentioned that they're now being at her workplace. They're being forced to uh, put their pronouns on their um, their email signature. Now, I'm just saying like, you know, as a small gesture, do you think that some, because a lot of women, a lot of normal, like normal, just average women listen to this podcast, even Gavin McInnes. Uh, <laughs> and um, I know, I know you're out there just not telling anyone, no comments on Twitter. And, and uh, so I wonder as a small, as like, do you think these small gestures of just, just saying, look, I respect, you know, your, someone's um, opinion about this stuff, but I'm, I'm just not going to do it. Like, do you think that that these small things could could end up having a bigger? Yeah, for sure. I think non-compliance is the only way. Like, I will not use wrong sex pronouns. I met a trans-identified person the other day, and I said to them straight up, "I said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to misgender you." And they were like, "Yeah, okay, cool." You know, because if you give them an inch, they take a mile. And and us just being nice and accommodating is what's put us in this mess. 
and we have to be hardline, but we can do it in a in a way that doesn't seem hardline. Just by saying it quite, look, no, I'm not comfortable with that, or no, I don't believe in that, or no, I don't think that's fair. And they're all reasonable things to say. Not that you should even need to qualify it. No should be enough. Just say no. And I think that's the only way. Yeah, well, I'll see which way my, my wife's going to go. I, I'm pretty sure she's not going to do the pronoun thing. She's not a fan. So, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll keep you updated. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> so, uh, Angie, we do have a final question that we ask all of our, uh, all of our guests. And we'd like to know what you're reading right now. I'm reading the Anti-Fascist Handbook. Anti-Fascist Handbook. Have I? Is this? It's next to that? my bed, so it's in the other room. Do you want me to go see? No, no, no. I'll, I'll look it up. Anti for the Anti-Fascist Handbook. Uh, author Mark Bray. Okay. And is this good? I'm reading it because I'm trying to remember the mindset of someone who considers them an anti themselves an anti-fascist. I'm trying to get into the mindset of someone who can go along with the government, ideologues, the corporates, and still consider themselves an outlier. I'm just trying to, you know, get in my head how they can possibly think that way. That's such mm. a good. That's such a good point. We've like, you know, a lot of these these ideas in in the, the cultural aspect of the hard left have become to complete orthodoxy in, in at the ABC, at in in government, and you know, Qantas and and whatever. So, you could walk into any any a meeting at Qantas and say some pretty fringe stuff. And get away with it. You know what I mean. So I, I'm, fa I too am fascinated. It sounds like a fantastic book. I should probably check it out. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely uh, fascinated by, as you say, how you can, how you can um, be accepted. You could, you could get grants funded, like Australia Council. You could get a big show, Ricky. You could write an opera, like just the most mad fringe opera about some anti-fascist thing or some trans thing, and, and. Um, and totally get the money, even if you hadn't done one jot on it, and yet still think on some level you're like, oh, geez, it's so hard being just like just on the outside of things, you know? Like, <laughs> ooh, it's so hard. The, the problem with that is, though, I am a cisgendered white man, oh, heterosexual no. cisgendered you white probably man. Like so China that's girl the problem. If I, well. if I identified as queer or indigenous, then, then that money would be sewn up for sure. Probably. Um, yeah. But uh, anyway, I say get writing. Uh, in the meantime, I think we'll, we'll check out this book, Angie. Great recommendation. Thank you. Uh, and now, how can people find you online? How, 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 do, how do they track you down? The nice people, not the trolls. Oh, look, trolls are welcome too. I'll just um, argue with them or block them. Um, on my, uh, so I was going to say Twitter, um, it's Angie Jones, A-N-G-I-J-O-N-E-S on Twitter. Um, I have a YouTube channel, Turf Talk Down Under, which is on YouTube. And um, apart from that, I'm around. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Andy. Angie. We'll, we'll catch up with you again. Um, and I'm sure, uh, you know, your, your uncancellation will be successful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
Thank you for listening to the New Flesh podcast. If you like our work, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or even writing us a review. It really does help the show reach a wider audience. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, long live the New Flesh.